Dominion Fire 360 is on. Welcome, my church. He's Million here with you. M-I-L-L-I-A-N, your ministry provocateur, iconoclast, firebrand, and the resident heretic here at Dominion Fire, as you all know. I am super excited to bring you this episode of 360 because this guest that's on today is someone I have been following his work for a few years now and read his book and was totally just floored by the content in it and Finally, we get a chance to catch up and talk a little bit, and I'm super excited to have him here today. The book that we have in question is called The Veil, and the the author and guest today has sort of been born with this ability to see in the spirit, such as angels and demons and things going on with his physical eyes. And it's a unique challenge and unique journey for him, which has come to the point where it's so natural in his everyday life that I, I... Pretty sure we're going to ask him that. I don't think it even takes him by surprise that much when he sees stuff. And this is this ability and innate thing that he's born with has given him this ridiculously crazy understanding of the ways of the kingdom and kind of how things are happening that maybe most people don't pick up on. Our guest today joining us by way of Atlanta, Georgia, from the Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry in Atlanta, Georgia, and again, author Blake Healy. Blake, welcome to the 360 show. How you doing, man? Uh, doing great. Very, very happy to get to speak with you guys today. Super cool. And so in your book, The Veil, you share about your unusual ability that you sort of have here. And it was the one of the most profound that I have heard of. And um, so it gives us insight into the realm of the spirit. And when you're not only interacting with this and you're teaching this to people, when people get this information and it starts filling in blanks for them, they get a deeper relationship with God. So some of these, this book tells some of these stories and kind of what you see. So let's sort of lay the groundwork here, Blake, with your background and experience. Tell us kind of from the beginning where this started, how you noticed it, how it all came together. Let's hear about you. Yeah, so I'll give you the relatively quick version because it does take up, I think, a, about a third of the book, all all told. But um, so I've I've seen angels and demons and other spiritual things for for as long as I can remember. My my first memories are seeing angels. You know, I included this story at the beginning where I remember being two years old and I was sitting in the back seat of my, my parents' minivan and my mom was at the drive through window at the bank. And I remember just sitting there and my mom was listening to worship music while she was chatting with the, the bank window person. And I just saw a half dozen of these baseball sized lights just drifting back and forth in time with the, in time with the music. And my, my second memory is seeing a demon. I was uh, three years old. I was um, in my parents' room. And my parents were in the kitchen, which was directly above where, uh, where their room was. And I could hear them talking through the ceiling. Um, I guess we didn't have very good insulation. Um, but the, I, you know, I couldn't hear exactly what they were saying, but just by the, the tone of what they were saying, I could tell they were in an argument. And I... Um, I remember looking up, trying to listen to what they were saying, and I saw this face morph out of the ceiling, and it was long, and it was pale, and it had these sharp, pointed teeth, and it kind of pulled away from the ceiling and drifted towards me, which I didn't appreciate very much, so I ran and dove headfirst into my parents' bed and pulled the covers over my head, which was the most advanced spiritual warfare tactic I had at the time. <laughs> and it. I... Uh, which it, apparently it works because after a few minutes I peeked out and the demon was gone. And so to give you kind of a quick timeline from, from zero to uh, about nine years old, I would see in the spirit all the time. You know, I would see just as much as, a, you know, 
uh, I would see, you know, angels when I would go to school, I would see demons, you know, around when I would be going around in the, the street and things like that. And it was just as much a part of anything else. And maybe it was just because I was a kid and, you know, kids say weird things anyway. My parents didn't really know there was anything unusual going on with me and neither did I. Um, my parents became Christians right after I was born, but we didn't really have a, um, we weren't going into church that really had a context for any of this kind of thing. And so be, because of that, we, you know, th- there wouldn't have even been, you know, any kind of grid for that really. So, um, so for nine years, didn't really know that anything was going on. When I was nine years old, I started experiencing a lot of torment, especially at night. I would see scary things. And before this, you know, I'd see demons, I'd see angels and I never, they never scared me, never bothered me, never, um, never, never really affected me in a negative way at all. But right around when I was nine years old, I started, um, seeing stuff, especially at night that would really scare me, lots of fear. And it would kind of come and bother me every night and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And, you know, again, we still didn't really have a great grid for the prophetic or even the idea that people could see in the spirit. And so I just kind of, my, my, my best guess at the point was that the devil had just flipped open the phone book, landed on my name and said, I'm going to mess up this guy's life. And so I um, just kind of dealt with that for three years, uh, every night seeing, seeing really bad stuff. And then when I was 12 years old, we moved to a church and again, I'm, I'm condensing a lot here, but we moved to a church uh, just kind of by accident that was really active about training people in the prophetic and healing and, and things like that. And as soon as my, I remember my mom dragged me to this basic prophetic training class. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to go. And, you know, she took me there and we, when I started hearing about how people learned how to hear God's voice and that he could speak through pictures and that he could speak all these different ways, it, you know, even though they didn't, explicitly talk about seeing in the spirit it created again to some kind of construct that i could work with to understand what i was experiencing because even though i had all this fear i i was scared to tell my parents what i was actually seeing because i thought you know i thought i'd have to you know go to an insane asylum or something you know i didn't know and having that at least that little bit of basic understanding made me feel comfortable with finally telling my parents um, what I was actually seeing and what was actually going on. And through a combination of talking with my parents and uh, learning from our prophetic leaders there, it, um, I, I, you know, I learned that, okay, this is just a gift that I haven't learned how to manage yet. And, you know, going uh, from there, I went from three years of every single night seeing demonic things, being terrified to over the course of just one week, it all, it all completely stopped. And so that was huge. And then again, I, I know I'm kind of moving quickly through all this, but from there forward, it was more learning, okay, how do I use this? How do I share this stuff? How do I you know, what does it look like to make this gift useful? And that, you know, that was kind of a long journey of its own. But from there on, it was just a step-by-step of learning. How do I, how do I share this with other people? At what age did you realize it was actually angels and demons when you were two years old? You know, you don't really have a, a greater understanding or did you? Like what age did it start to be come into focus? What was what? Yeah, I really didn't have a grid. Probably, it probably wasn't until I was nine. 
Um, we, we, I was a missionary kid growing up, so we moved around a lot. And from the age of five to to right about nine years old, we were moving around Europe, uh, mostly living in Russia, but a little bit in Finland and Austria and different places. And so I wasn't around a lot of kids that spoke English. So even some of the things that I would mention and the things that I would talk about, it didn't weird them out because they, you know, half, half the time didn't understand me anyway. Um, and so when I was, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And so when I was nine, we moved back to the United, to the, to the U S. And so I, I remember specifically like being at school and I would see these angels walking around uh, wearing these gold robes and they had oil and they were anointing all the kids on the head. And I mentioned it to one of my, I'm like, Oh, who, who are those golden ladies? And the kid like gave me this weird look. And, you know, because I'd moved around to these different countries where, you know, it's impolite to talk to talk about this in this country, but it's okay in this country. And I thought, oh, I guess it's just impolite to talk about the, the golden ladies, you know. Um, and so I started realizing something was going on then. And when I started having that fear stuff every night, I, w- I was pretty sure that they were demons. It's not something that we talked about a lot, you, you know, in any church that I had been or even with my family at the time, but that's the only, that, that was really the only thing that I settled on then. Um, I don't think I fully got a grasp on what was, what were, what were angels and what weren't until I was really 12 years old. Cause up until then I just didn't have any kind of grid at all for, for what that was. Yeah, it's funny that you say that with churches and people not talking about it, because a lot of that obviously is rooted in fear of what we're actually dealing with. And I think it was interesting that when you started almost that age of accountability that some people talk about, when you started coming of that age where you started realizing what was what, then the fear kicked in where they were trying to scare you every night, as you were mentioning. And I remember from the book, you were seeing some pretty graphic stuff, some pretty graphic sexual stuff, too, if I remember correctly. And it was for a young kid. I mean, that had to be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, it's it's interesting. It's it's different now in retrospect than it was at the time. I as as, you know, even when I wrote the book, I I'm like, I don't want this to be, you know, super grotesque, but I also don't want to pull any punches on sharing what my experience was. And so. I feel like I landed on what I felt like a good middle ground there. Cause I, again, I don't feel like that experience was the focus of it, as dramatic as it was and as traumatic as it could seem, that experience definitely hasn't been the, you know, the centerpiece of my view or, or even my experience with, with seeing the spirit, but it even less than what I was seeing, even though I would see stuff that was, you know, again, my parents were relatively strict about what kind of movies I watched and things like that. So a lot of the stuff I didn't even have a context for in in that regard. Um, it, what bothered me more was the feeling of fear that came with it. You know, this overwhelming feeling of fear that would come with that, um, that stuff that I saw. And so it, it was traumatic. It was overwhelming in that sense, but it, it, especially looking back, I can see now how God really covered me in, in that time, even though there was fear, even though I was learning what my authority looked like at at that point, I, I don't feel like I have necessarily these long lasting traumatic effects from that season, which again, just as I, I can, like I said, I can just kind of see how God was covering me in that, in that way. So with the book, when you put this all together, obviously, writing it and having someone read it doesn't give the full experience, like actually seeing it and being there in many cases, of course. 
But what you sure, so you put sure. this book together, and now recently it's sort of doing a reissue. Give us a quick history of the book itself. Yeah, so that was that was a bit of a process. You know, for the longest time, I didn't want to write a book about seeing the spirit, and mostly that had to do with um, from uh, the age of twelve to the age of twenty-two. I am. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of success with sharing my gift with other people. Part of that was on my end of you know learning what was the right thing, what was the not right thing to bring up, how to bring it up, you know, all the, all the nuances of that. Um, and so I went really back and forth for a long time. And in, in the book, I do talk about kind of my tipping point uh, breakthrough experience where I really finally felt released by the Holy Spirit to to start sharing all the things that I said uh, I saw and with it came the grace to really explain those things in a concise way. Um, and so around that time, I was about 22 years old, give or take, I, I realized, okay, I'm probably going to need to write about this. I had actually loved writing my whole life. Um, and I, when I was trying to avoid going into ministry uh, during my early, you know, if I was 1920, I was actually studying to be an English professor because I just wanted to go in that direction. So I liked to write. I just never wanted to write that book necessarily. Um, but then, I, you know, as I realized, like, okay, I do, this isn't just a gift I have. This is something that God has designed for me to share with other people. And so I realized I'd have to write the book. And I wrote the whole thing, uh, you know, one time, and it was bad. <laughs> it was not very good. It was super dry. It was super boring. It And, and you know, I remember looking at, the, at it going through and like, how did I write a, how did I make a book about angels and demons boring? How did I do that? You know? And I think the main reason that it ended up that way is I was really trying to cover everything. I was trying to, I gave scripture references for every single thing that I saw and what I felt about it. I, I tried to really explain why everything was the way that it was. And it was just so like tiptoeing through everything. And it was fine, but it didn't it didn't feel right. And so I trashed it, started over with more or less the same perspective. And second version was just as bad, you know, just boring, not not hitting what I'm looking for. And I, I didn't even really know what I was looking for. And so finally, after trashing it the second time, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, you know, you're not you're not trusting your readers. And I, you know, I said, What do you what do you mean by that? And he said, You're you're trying to teach them everything step by step and you're not trusting them to just learn. And I realized that, you know, I didn't, when I would see in the spirit, it, it wasn't like, you know, National Geographic where I'm just getting narration and explaining how everything works. It's not, you know, you see the worship angel moving across the stage, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's, nice. I, it's something you figure out step by step, bit by bit, with conversations with the Holy Spirit, conversations with your with your close friends and leaders. You know, it was something that was worked out in in stages. And so, you know, be because of that, I thought oh, this these books, these two versions of this book that I wrote, are really inauthentic to what the gift actually is. Because, and you know, this is all throughout everything that I do, is that it's, you know, I. I uh, you know, I, I believe that the gift of seeing, seeing the Spirit is something that's meant to be available to every Christian. I think it's a valid and valuable thing to pursue. But the gift itself is all but meaningless without the relationship with God that is available through it and through any gift of the Spirit. And so I 
thought, okay, I'm, I'm trying to be the Holy Spirit for people and teach them what all this means. I just need to present, hey, here's the stuff that I've seen. Here's what happened. And, you know, that's when the, the version that currently exists of the veil that's coming out, that, that is coming out and is out is, um, you know, mostly stories. It's mostly just my experiences. Even my own commentary on the stories was relatively limited. Um, <clears throat> I really wanted those to speak for themselves. I really wanted to be something where it's like, I got to go talk to the Holy Spirit about this. And I took out any part where I really tried to defend the the gift or explain it. It's because of that. I'm like, oh, you either believe this or you don't. And I'm not, I, I can sit here and argue with you, but that's not going to do either of us much good, you know? And so uh, that's kind of where the, the version of it came out. And it's, you know, it's messier. It, it's not as clean. It's not as concise, but it, it feels so much more true to the experience that I had with seeing the spirit where it's more here it is. And let's figure out what to do with it. Brilliant. And listeners, we will get to where you can grab a copy of this book towards the end of the show. But with all that said, as you were mentioning, uh, angels and demons seem to be the big topic of the book. So let's get into Mm -hmm. this. You were saying earlier that, for instance, walking in school, you'd see angels anointing people. Now, what happened with me is as I was sort of studying this topic when I first got saved, my poor pastor, I drove this guy nuts. And I would say to him something like, "I I can't seem to figure out what exactly angels are for. What, what, what's, what's the deal? I, I, they seem useless to me. You know, brand new Christian is the kind of stuff I did, right? And when, like, when this topic comes up, if we're supposed to be, like, walking in the authority of Jesus, you'll do the things I do in greater, or in my name believers shall do this, and you will grow up into him in all things. If we have that Holy Spirit and the Jesus and we're authorized and, you know, exousia and so on and so forth— what exactly are angels? What do they do? Like when they're anointing school kids, for what purpose? Like walk me through, what What do I need to know about this? Totally. And it's funny because I had the exact same conversation with the Holy Spirit at one point where I, you know, I, same, same train of thought where I, I remember the first time I started getting answers to this question and, and you'll find, and I, I, you know, I feel like I tried to illustrate it in the book that, um, so much of the things that I've learned about this came over the course of years in little nuggets at a time and, you know, kind of added dimension, added texture, added character to the ideas. And so I remember the, the, the first day I started getting answers to this question, I was sitting in church, I was in the front row and saw it was worship, worship angels were dancing around. There was a protection angel standing at the door. Our front entrance to our church was all the way to the left from where I was sitting protection angel standing by the door. He looked older. He was wearing this kind of silver looking armor. And I'm looking at this angel and I think, what's the point of that angel? You know, not, not trying to like, you know, devalue this angel's existence or anything, but like, you know, we, we serve the almighty God, you know, and he, he is omnipresent, omnipotent. He's all powerful. Like, do I actually need protection from an angel? You know? And um, I remember I'm sitting there and I just heard the Holy Spirit say, you know, do you think I do everything because of need? And I was like, huh. And as I started looking at this angel, it was one of the first times where looking at the details of how, what the angel looked like 
I look at it less to less as, well, this is just the way this angel looks and more as uh, every way that this angel looks communicates who it is. And so I don't, this angel looked older, but I don't think angels have age, at least in the, at least in the way that we do anyway. And so this angel is not necessarily literally old, but the, the, because he looks old, that communicates something about the wisdom, the, the stalwartness with, with which he's, uh, you know, focused on his task, the maturity that he, that he views with his task. His armor is perfectly clean. It's perfectly, you know, polished. It's in excellent condition. So even though he is, has been, uh, he's evoking this idea of having been around a long time, he takes like very good care of his armor, of what he's, of what he's wearing. He's, the worship angels are going all over the place, jumping around. He's standing very still, very focused. And it kind of, you know, if you want to almost evoke that image of like the Royal guard, you know, just standing there and they don't move for anything kind of, kind of situation. Um, and so I started thinking of like, okay, I don't believe that it's literally a matter of if, you know, say a demon bursts through the door. It's, it's not literally a matter of if that angel can outmaneuver that demon and stab it, you know, that that's literally what's going to protect us from that demon. And so as I had that thought process, I immediately flashed in my mind just some an image of an you know just kind of a medieval time sort of scene where an ambassador was being sent to a foreign country, and that ambassador had an honor guard of you know in this little picture that came to my mind it was twenty or thirty guards, and this ambassador was going into a big castle of an of an of a foreign camp, and there was hundreds and hundreds of soldiers there, and there's big fortifications and I had that thought of, okay, those, if that foreign army decided to just attack that person, that ambassador, you know, the, those 30 guys couldn't protect him from that. And I just, again, had this thought of, oh, the purpose of those, that honor guard is not just, I'm going to literally protect you. It's a statement. And it's a statement from the king of that country of origin of that ambassador, which is my power goes with this person. And suddenly I realized <clears throat> that, okay, the protection angel isn't here necessarily just to literally protect me from something. It is here as a, as a statement from heaven that, hey, my authority and my power is going with you. And that kind of changed the perspective of so many things. You know, I, I, I remember when my, when my first, this is kind of like the more recent end of this, you know, many, many year conversation I've had with God on this subject. I remember uh, when my first son was born, we're in the hospital and I'll, I'll tell this story because people think it's super cute and makes them happy. But uh, people ask, you know, everyone I've ever met has a personal angel that's always with them. And people have asked me, you know, when's the, What's the, when do people get their personal angel, you know? And one kind of cool thing, uh, I didn't learn this until I started having kids, but every single one of my, I have four kids and every single one of my kids' personal angels has shown up the moment April and I decided to start trying to have children. And so before April was even pregnant, this extra angel shows up as soon as we make that decision of, hey, we'd like to try to start having kids. That extra angel followed April around through her entire pregnancy 
And at first, especially with my first one, I didn't know why it was there. I thought, oh, this is like a special pregnancy angel or something. Um, and it's following her around. We, you know, go to the hospital, have our son. And there's that first moment where, you know, she's already held him for a little while. And they hand him to the nurse to get cleaned up at the little baby cleanup station that they have. And I watched that angel follow him over there. And that angel's been following him ever since. And that was the moment I realized, like, oh, that was his angel. And I remember that night, we're laying in bed, April's asleep, the baby's asleep, and I'm watching this angel just stand over the little, you know, baby crib thing and, and looking down, just smiling at the baby. And I had that thought, again, come through my mind, like, what's the point of a personal angel? You know, they follow you around, they intercede for you, they pray for you. I've seen them be in, like, a protection mode. I've seen them, you know... uh you know, they're, they're always with their person. They're always attentive to their person. They're always showing like favor and kindness towards their person. But what's the, what's the point? And then I just, at watching this angel stand and just look down at my son, I just had this moment where I thought, well, maybe it was just yet another way that God wanted to communicate his affection to us. And in this way, it's, Hey, I just want someone whose main job it is to love you for your entire life. <laughs> All right. And, and I got to, I got to yeah. jump in here with a couple of questions. Cause this, this yeah, is like sure. how my, my weird mind thinks. So every, no, everyone sure. has a personal angel, every person saved or unsaved. Is that a yes or no? I've never met any human being saved, unsaved or otherwise that I have not seen a personal angel with. Okay. If this person is with you your entire life, obviously through the good stuff and, and the bad, of course, but, and, and this mm-hmm. is, I don't mean to sound, you know, flipping with this, but you decided that you're going to, you're going to start a family and you're going to, um, you know, do the deed that starts the family. And there's an angel there. Isn't that awkward? Mm -hmm. Or like, I'm going to in the bathroom (laughs) doing my morning business and there's an angel here. Doesn't, are we getting awkward or is it, or do they just not have a grid for that kind of stuff? I get this question more often than you might think. (laughs) Um, It's uh, the simplest answer is it's just not awkward. Um, the, the, uh, this is just a snapshot of it. It's not the whole picture, but I think an easy metaphor to go to is like, I, I never am concerned that my dog is not wearing pants. Um, and why is that? It's because it's culturally normal, because whatever. And ultimately it's because, because my dog is a fundamentally different being from my, from me. And so okay. Okay. both socially and because it's a different being than me, I, I don't think about that in any kind of, that's never weird to me, you know? Um, and <laughs> so it's like, look, same, look away, man. I'm trying to work here. <laughs> you know, as simple, like this is maybe a weird metaphor, but like I, you know, I didn't hang around babies a whole lot before I had my own. Um, and you know, anyone who's ever changed a diaper before, like you can't be, can't be ginger with, with that. And there and, that stuff and that was weird and awkward for me, you know, at first because I'd never done that before. Like I just kind of get in here with a baby wife and do this. But as you get used to it, and as that the nature of my relationship to my son grows, even in that small, you know, way, it it's not weird at all, you know, because this is actually the way God, the way that He created nature. That's that's why it was intended, you know. To, to work this way for me to care for you in this extremely intimate way that would be 
extremely awkward with almost any other human being on the, probably any other human being on the planet, but it's the nature of our relationship. And, well, and well, yeah. kind of, yeah. well, dovetailing into that, just so I'm kind of clear on this. So if, if you see someone unsaved with their angel and they're embroiled in a sin or in the midst of a sin, committing the act of sin, what's their angel doing at that time? Yeah, it depends on the circumstances. I mean, I, um, are they just kind of shaking the, the, their head or are they like weeping? Or are they like trying to stop them? Like what happens? Uh, I, I've seen all those. Um, uh, I've seen examples of all that. I, you know, I, this isn't a perfect metaphor again, but I think the best description I have right now of what the relationship between a personal angel and a person is, is it somewhere between an older sibling and a parent, you know, where they're, they don't necessarily have an authority over you per se, but they, they've been around since day one. They've seen the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. And they, uh, you know, I've never met a personal angel that I did not see and experience and uh, feel a context of anything but love towards their person. Like even the disappointment that comes from the, a person making a mistake or a person making a poor choice, it comes from love. It does. It's not like this, you know, uh, you know, angry, you know, sometimes that, that negative version of religious, uh, you know, how dare you or shame on you kind of thing. It's, it's that, ah, this hurts me because I care about you this, this much, you know? And so, yeah, sometimes that looks like a shake, shaking their head. Sometimes they look almost sick. I don't think that angel is literally sick, but it's, I think that, you know, I think in some ways their destiny is tied to our destiny in, in some fashion. And so I can see that it would in, in, in some, you know, shade make them sick to not be as associated with the presence of God as humans are designed to be. And so, so sometimes they look sick. Sometimes they look sad. It's, it just depends on the circumstance. All right, now we're talking different kinds of angels because you've mentioned worship angels, protection, personal angels. What are like? Are there are obviously different kinds of angels, and I would assume they have different personalities if you interact with them. Can you just give us a quick overview of that? Certainly, yeah. Now, I uh, th this kind of gets in the area that's just my current opinion, which could change over time. But I, I believe that all angels are fundamentally the same kind of being. You know. I don't think like a worship angel is a fundamentally different kind of being than a personal angel. I think it has a very different job and role. And in the same way that, you know, if you're an alien coming down to, a, to, to earth and you saw a professional football player and a professional computer programmer, you might think that they are fundamentally different beings, but they just look real different because their job's real different. Um, so with that, with that preamble, um, like personal angels, ironically enough, tend to be a lot more personable. They, are very much more interactive. They're very much more active. Um, and they tend to either have a similar personality that's complementary to their, uh, the person that they're with, or almost they have that like opposite personality that like is a sometimes comical, sometimes charming counterbalance to their person's personality. Um, either way, they're always a great fit. Um, whereas like, protection angels, they're usually very stoic, very serious, very intent on what they're doing. And now I would say that is one consistent personality trait I've seen across almost every angel I've seen is that whatever task they're assigned, they seem very, very intent on. They don't on play around. <laughs> yeah. 
No, and, and even uh, personal angel, obviously, like joy and fun is part of being a person. And so they do that. But even with that, they're very intent and attentive, you know, to to that. Um, worship angels, you know, tend to be very graceful, very beautiful, very lost in worship. Again, like both protection angels and worship angels, I would say, I rarely even made eye contact with them because they are doing what they're doing and they don't necessarily care that I can see them, you know. Um, beyond that, you know, it gets a little bit more nuanced. I, in my book, I have this category called activation angels, which is a really broad category because that's basically any angel in, in my you know, personal definition that is there to do something or to release something or to make something happen. And so they are usually waiting to do what they're assigned to do, which they, that can be a wide variety of things. Would there be a situation where like I could interact with your personal angel to pray on your behalf and vice versa, things like that? I'm trying to think. I, I can't think of an example of that off the top of my head. Like an intercession um, kind of thing, just curious. Or yeah, like if someone's I, unsaved, could you petition their personal angel together with something, you know? Something like that. Maybe. Yeah, I... It's interesting. I get a lot of questions about the, like, am I allowed to commission an angel to do something? Am I not? Is it appropriate to talk to an angel? Is it inappropriate? I am, um, you know, I, with everything that I do, I really try to just, the, the only balance that I know is just listening to the Holy Spirit and honoring that relationship first. And so I, I will say that like personal angels in particular, they seem intent on their own person to the, to such an extent that even almost at the expense of others to, to some extent, other people. Um, so, you know, they're I, really I, focused now, on their task. <laughs> they're real focused. Yeah. Yeah. And so now like if someone's receiving prayer or something like that, I usually see their personal angel participating with that in some fashion, either enhancing what's going on or just kind of also praying for, for that person. So they're, they're very active in that regard. All right. Now, I want to bridge into the other half of this. But before we get into that, you'd mentioned about we see angelic beings, for instance. And now we know there's, you know, God and Jesus, Holy Spirit and and angels, demons. Are there other types of beings that you see in the spirit? Um, We see in the Bible, for instance, like four faced creatures and things like that. Do you see creatures and other beings that maybe don't get mentioned or noticed or anything like that? Yeah, there's stuff that I would not necessarily automatically associate as this is an angel or this is a demon. Um, again, I, you know, I'll definitely say that I, I, I know that I don't even come close to seeing everything that there is to see in the spirit. And I, I know that simply practically because I see more and more all the time, um, which, you know, was, means I'm seeing something that I wasn't before. And so I... I've seen things that don't look anything like an angel that I've seen before. Now I've been doing it long enough that there are are things that I'm like, Whoa, what the heck is that? And then a few years down the line, I see this other thing over here, this other thing over here, this other thing over there. And it builds lines of connection to that thing that I didn't see initially. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And so like puzzle pieces just coming into place. Sure. Sure. Like if you, you know, if you live out in the, you know, if you live in the deciduous forest your whole life, you know, and then you move, you go visit the desert, like a cactus could be like, what the heck is this thing? You know, but then you see several other species of cacti and, you know, different plants in that family. It's like, okay, I see the lines of, you know, connection that 
get us to this thing. But if you just see this one end product, I might be like, whoa, this is so off base, you know? Um, and so some of it is, I will see something unusual, but then as I kind of, the more I've found, like I find those lines of connection to where it fits into what God's doing more, if that makes sense. Brilliant. Love it. All right. Now let's pivot to the topic. I'm sure a lot of people are curious about. Let's talk some demons. Now, <laughs> what are demons? The question probably gets asked all the time. Now there's a spectrum. Some they're fallen angels, other they're disembodied spirits or they're a seed of a Nephilim or what, so on and so forth. In your opinion, your view, what are demons? How do they function? Give us the full report. Yeah, sure. So I, most of what I would call demons are, in my opinion, fallen angels. Um, and I, I think that most, and I will say before we dive too deep into this, I, I sit on one side of the spectrum of opinion on, on this subject, and I have friends and close connections that are on various uh, sides of the spectrum who I value, who I don't disagree with necessarily, but I, I kind of just know what perspective I live in with this stuff. And so it, I will just kind of say that as a balancing act initially, but I I find a lot of the stuff that we uh, like, I would say 99% of the time, and that's, that's not an exaggerated figure on, at least based on my experience, 99% of the time when I see problems, when I see negative things, when I see bad stuff in people's life, 99% of the time, demonic stuff is like the flies that are attracted to the wound rather than the problem itself, rather than the wound itself. And so Demonic stuff, in my perspective and in my opinion, is mostly opportunist. It is looking on the small scale. It's looking for that bad attitude. It's looking for that offense. It's looking for that deep emotional hurt. It's looking for that injustice that happened to you. And it's trying to stick the knife in. It's trying to infect that hurt. It's trying to make it worse. You know, it's trying to find something to work with to to mess your mess your life up. Um, on the broader scale, I think that stuff is looking for trends. It's looking for mindsets. It's looking for perspectives and trying to bend, warp, and twist those, even godly mindsets, and trying to turn those into a different version, a different side, trying to isolate those perspectives to make them extreme or unbalanced. You know, um, And so I... I, and I, so I've seen a wide variety of demons on a wide variety of scales from teeny tiny simple things that are just looking for the petty stuff to the bigger stuff that's looking to try to shape shape the direction of society and things like that. But in my opinion, um, all of those things fit into the category of, again, fallen angels in my opinion, but also I the, the other side of some of this, and this is on the good side and the bad side, is when we create a belief system, when we create a mindset and we, that becomes past even a belief system into just a normal, like a normal thing that we think or that we believe that creates almost a momentum in the spirit. That is, I don't think necessarily literally an entity of its own, but in some ways it operates that way because it can be so prevalent and so transformative to the way that people think or act or do things. Now, when you, are seeing in the spirit and you look at a person being uh, saved, not saved otherwise, and you see some sort of 
demonic being or demonic influence? Is it on the outside? Is it on the inside? How does it function? How do you see it? What What's going on there? Yeah, so it depends. Um, I One thing I like to say, because it, um, I think, brings a little bit of help with the scale of things, is um, that I, there's no one I've known for any length of time, but I haven't seen something demonic on them at one point or another. And that's not because everyone's awful. That's because the enemy is going to come knocking. You know, he's going to try to do something. Most of the time I see that stuff, like it's, it's a sliding scale. Like, you know, people talk about possession and, and things like that. And to me, it's, I think sometimes we think of that in almost like a binary, you are possessed, you are not possessed sort of thing. To me, it's right, a right, broad right. scale. Um, <clears throat> and it starts with, you know, something simple. You know, I like to use simple things just because we tend to experience those more often, but it's like, oh, that person passed me in the hall and they didn't make eye contact with me or say hi. You know, simple thing, uh, but, you know, that, that that hurt your feelings. Then the enemy comes and said, man, they must be ticked you or something. Man, they must not like you. And if even something, and I've seen something as simple as that, I see like a little cut, you know, just because that's a little offense, a little hurt. And that's the natural, normal part. But I see the enemy, uh, like a you know, scraggly looking demon thing. It's all skinny and emancipated, you know, emancipated looking, um, or excuse me, emaciated looking. Uh, climbing up the side of the person is kind of digging a fingernail into that thing and just scratching at it and scratching at it. And if we keep leaning into that mindset, if we don't talk to that person about that problem, if we just linger on that thought, it can crack open. And then I'll see them. You know, again, this is getting a little bit graphic, but like slide a finger into that wound and just kind of hold it open. And I've seen times where they like will get a whole hand in a wound and like the wound will heal over the demon's hand. And that's again, that's when we're that's when we take our some of those negative experiences or those hurts and we start building a belief system or a way that we relate to the world based around those things, you know, and as far as seeing like a demon, like other than examples like that, like literally inside someone, um, what I see more often than not is those mindsets get to the extent where people are starting to act more demonic. And I will see something that makes them look a little bit more this way or that way. Um, as far as looking, you know, icky, but I, that's almost like a, uh, you know, from one angle, I look at that and I see that as you're dressing up to look like something that you're you're just actually not. But you've learned to act that way. You've learned to respond that way. And so that, that's, you know, sometimes I see that in people's faces and uh, things like that. What has been explained to me, and maybe you can expound on this further, is that in the spiritual realm of things that nothing is really hidden. So in the physical, you may have depression, you may have a pornography problem, and so on and so forth, where you can hide that to a degree. But in the spirit, if you look at someone, it's all out into the open, and that's like the flames that attract these moths, if you will, for metaphor. Um, and that's sort of how they see that. Is that the case where in the spirit, pretty much everything's on display? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I like to talk about subtle things sometimes just because I think we, we ignore those uh, too often. but. You know, I've seen people in an argument where just a little harsh word is said. And I, you know, 
in the physical world, you might just see that person like, you know, scrunch their face a little or something real subtle in the spirit. I just see a gash appear on their cheek, you know, and it's bleeding. And are you okay? No, I'm, I'm fine. Fine. You know, and you know, I'm like, All right, are you sure you're fine? Cause you don't seem fine. Um, and you know, same thing with the, you know, I, you know, this is, this is getting into an area, but even with those, you know, sin issues and things like that, it's, even those oftentimes are the, you know, people like, you know, pornography problem is an easy, easy one, you know, where it, even that act usually comes out of something else, like some other kind of hurt, some other kind of feeling of lack in, in someone's life. And so even that can be something that is, you know, maybe that, uh, that is brought to them, you know, as in, option of how to deal with life or deal with, you know, sad feelings and uh, depression and things like that. And so, yeah, that stuff's, that stuff's pretty, pretty out in the open in the spirit of my experience. So in ministry, like we do with like healing and deliverance and specifically and things like this, when we've had cases where someone will have a, a spiritual situation, we'll do our commanding and our, you know, authority thing and just goes right away, like pops instantly other times we'll fight for hours and hours. Um, so I guess it's sort of a two-part question. Why do they resist like they do in some cases and not others? And how do you ultimately get rid of these in that situation when you're on the minister side of it? Yeah. So again, this is, this is an area where I know I'm, I'm on one side of the spectrum. And so I will, I will give you my side. And I, I genuinely believe that there are other sides that are valid. But I, I personally am rarely that interested in trying to get rid of the demonic thing initially. Because in my view, I want to change the circumstance. I want to speak into the belief system, the circumstance, the attitude, the mindset that allowed that thing into their life. And, you know, I, I'll give you this quick metaphor just because it's the most apt one I know of. Like I can, you know, if I, like, so I live in Georgia, I have a little kid pool in my backyard as well as little plastic thingies that the kids can play in left water in it for a little bit too long. And then after a week or two, I walk out there and the water's all gross and brown. There's mosquitoes in there. I'm like, ugh, gross, you know? And so walk inside the house, grab a thing of bleach, dump a bunch of bleach in there. Boom. Everything dead instantaneously, instantly. But I thought, oh, a little hasty with that. Dumped a bunch of bleach into this thing. And if I just dump that on my grass, it's going to ruin my grass. Didn't think that through. I'll deal with this later. Um, very responsible <laughs> um, and go back inside, forget about it. A couple of weeks go by, walk back out. Boom. Again, mosquitoes, dirty water, brown, all the mosquitoes are back. What I hadn't realized was all of those bleach chemicals, all the dangerous things that would just kill those mosquitoes evaporated. And the, it was exactly the same as it was before. And so I have the, we've been given authority over evil spirits. We've been given authority over demonic stuff. However, and so again, I had all the power and the authority to instantly kill every single mosquito in that little pool. I didn't change the environment that allowed them to be there though. And so I walked away from that situation and it just recreated itself. And I find that both on the small scale and the big scale, that I'm much more interested in changing the environment that created, that attracted that demonic activity, that attracted that stuff um, 
you know, into that person's life. And so I tend to, you know, with our school of ministry, with what we do, that's, that's kind of what we do is we're very focused on training people up and your identity in Christ. What does that mean? How does that apply? What does that mean about how you live your life? What does that mean about how you go after your destiny? What does that mean about what you can do, what you can pray for, what authority you have? And so I, so that's what I look for, especially if something is sticky. Now there, there are other times where it's like, I can't even get through to you. So yeah, let's deal with some of this demonic stuff just to get it to, you know, shut up basically. Um, so you're creating an opening so, when you do that kind of thing. Totally. And so it, it is circumstantial, you know, onto what the, what the appropriate move is. But I, you know, I find that, okay, my, my goal is to change this environment into the way that God intended it to be. Cause he did not intend to give you openings to demonic attack. And so, you know, it's, I use this metaphor in my book, you know, it is the exception when our physical body gets sick. Like there's germs perpetually, constantly everywhere. I mean, apparently like our phone is the, you know, the filthiest thing in our life because it's, you know, touches everything and we never wash it. And so it's like there's germs perpetually attacking us. But most of the time, it's just not a big deal because our body is fundamentally designed to fight disease. And, and wage a perpetual war against disease that we really don't need to worry about because our body is mostly supposed to be better than disease. And it's, you know, again, it is the exception from the norm when you have to go to the doctor and it's the exception from the norm when you're so sick that you need to you know, do something serious. And so trying to get people spiritually to that place is usually my goal. And I would imagine too, that, like with the angels, there are different kind of angels, different personalities. I'd imagine you see different types and jobs, or if you will, of demons, or like you were saying, as a missionary, I imagine in different places you see different things too, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> especially when you have a country that's only a couple of hundred years old, when you go to, you know, I was in Dresden, Germany recently, and that, that city is 800 years old. <laughs> and, you know, it's there's can be layers of things going on in places like that. Um, but yeah, you know, there's different jobs, they have different goals. I mean, again, ultimately their goal and job is steal, kill, destroy. And so they just have different shades of ways of going about that, ultimately. Got it. So seeing in the spirit, we're talking angels, we're talking demons and other things, so spiritual beings. Now, when you go somewhere, do you see spiritual things attached to buildings or objects or locations? Definitely. Definitely. And sometimes those are like actual entities. Like I see a demon on that building or I see an angel hanging out in this area. Um, sometimes, and I think I describe it in the book as a um, spiritual ecosystem is more what I see, which that is almost akin to like my, my little, you know, cute metaphor with the kiddie pool and the mosquitoes is that's the, the repetition of what I do, what I think, what I believe, how I act in an environment creates, a structure and creates um, a a grid, you know, basically a for uh, yeah. That's a great way to say it. it's like a grid yeah. for that stuff. And so if I that worship, makes sense to you and your perspective and how you view the world, that that's how I would say it, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. If I worship in my house every day, all the time, like worship is in my house. Like it's that the ability to worship is more present in my house than it is outside my house because I've 
paved that road again and again and again. And the same with anger, same with depression. Those those roads can be paved in in physical locations because of beliefs. And and you know it goes on to the larger scale. The beliefs of a country, the beliefs of a generation, the beliefs of our forefathers can leave an impact both both on the good side and the bad side. Yeah. So when you are seeing this stuff, for instance, with the angels, you said you've interacted with them, but when you are somewhere, like go to a location, see maybe a demon hanging around, are you just a viewer or are you actively in this grid? Like, do they see you and be like, okay, I'm out of here, he sees me? Or are you just viewing as an observer? So uh, it's interesting. I, I definitely would consider myself in this grid, in this place, you know, because I am a spiritual being just like you are and just like everyone who's listening is. Um, and so I'm there. I don't always get the impression that they necessarily know or care that I'm looking at them. I, you know, this is getting into a little bit of a different angle on it, but I, I believe that we are all fundamentally designed to interact with the spirit, to interact with the spiritual realm. And so I think we all notice, feel, sense, perceive that stuff a lot more than we might give credit. And so I honestly, you know, I, this is easy for me to say, obviously, but I, I don't think that what I'm doing is, as far as it relates to making waves, if you will, in the spirit, is that different from someone walking into a place like, yeah, it feels weird in here, you know? Or I walked in this room and I just feel this icky feeling. Oh man, it feels really good in here. I just feel peace in here. You know, I don't think as far as like the way that demonic or even angelic stuff perceives that is that that is all that different, you know? And so I don't necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily, unless there's something specific, which I do include stories like that in my, in my book um, where a demonic thing or an angelic thing is specifically there to tell me something. Um, they usually just keep on keeping on with whatever it is they're doing, whether, whether I'm you know focusing on them or not. I, I keep thinking in my head, and I've, this has been on my mind a lot as of late, is it's not a direct reference, but it's where Paul in, I, I forget, it's a New Testament, I forget where exactly, um, but he mentions being hidden in Christ. And I'm sort of wondering if there's some sort of element where you're in this spiritual grid, if you will, and you're interacting, you're seeing these demons, but you're hidden in Christ in that case, and maybe you're there, but they don't necessarily perceive you, which is why they continue keeping on, which allows you to, to you know, function or minister or intercede or whatever it is you're doing there. So I, I don't know. I'm just kind of just speculating out loud, but I'm just curious what you thought of that. Yeah, it's just a, definitely an interesting take. I could see, I could see that. I can certainly see that being an aspect of it. I, especially now, you know, I don't, I've seen lots of, you know, more intense demonic stuff and been in a lot of crazy places. Um, and I, I don't feel this specific, I don't feel worried about it. Usually I don't feel it's a big sense of fear, you know, about that stuff. And I, I would agree that it is, you know, apart from, the the goodness of God and and the authority that we've been given through Christ, you know, I don't think it would feel that way. But because of that, I think it definitely does. So as you're seeing in the spirit, and you referenced this earlier, and I'd like to touch on this a little bit, um, when you are, let's say, ministering to someone and you'll see 
in the spirit what appears to be cuts and bruises. And you mentioned a gash on someone's face. And then as you minister them, you see them maybe start to fade or go away. Can you give us like a, a quick rundown of what that would look like? Sure. I got a real good basic example of, um, I, I remember one time me and my wife, me and my wife were in a, uh, in a strong discussion as, as you would say it. And, um, I, you know, it wasn't anything horrible, but we were, you know, in, a, in an argument and I, and I'm sure we've all had this moment if you've ever been in, been in a relationship where I had a comment come into my mind and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like super cruel or anything like that, but it wasn't, it, you know, it's one of those comments that pops in your mind and you're like, I shouldn't say that, That's, but it would feel good to say that, you know, one of those sort of things. And popped in my head, I thought no, and then I just went ahead and said it again. And again, it wasn't wasn't anything too horrible. It was more the tone. It was more the you know, like maybe being a little bit too sarcastic and things like that. And the second I said it, I just saw this cut appear on the upper part of her cheek. Not a huge gash, not a you know big gaping wound, but just a cut. And there's a little drop of blood running down. And just immediately, you know, I'd seen stuff like that before, but immediately I was like, oh, darn, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. And I apologized right away. And, and she's like, no, no, it's fine. I'm like, no, no, it's not fine. I shouldn't have said that. And I shouldn't have said it that way. And I shouldn't have said it with that intention. And as I really apologized, I watched the wound close up and I literally watched the drop of blood run back up her face and go back in and it completely healed. And so that's, that's a simple one, but even the bigger stuff, you know, I, it's a, it's a broad concept, but I, I believe that every single hurt that we, we afflict, inflict on ourselves that get inflicted, inflicted upon others, that God has a perfect plan for complete healing and restoration for every single one of those. So I, the opportunity for that is always, always, always there. And sometimes it takes time. You know, it's not, God's not the, our fairy godmother, you know, it's, he wants it to be really healed, not just magically taken away, you know? And I think for some stuff that does take time, but he does have a perfect plan for it. Do you see in the spirit concerning animals or household pets? Yeah. So I've, I, you know, I, I haven't like I, in this, you know, dog lovers out there may not appreciate this, but I, I, you know, I've never seen a like dog have a personal angel or anything quite like that. Um, the interesting thing is I have on a relatively regular basis seen cats and dogs and things like that follow or look at angels or like give attention to them or chase them around and, and things like that. And I tend to think that they have a capacity for seeing, experiencing, and, you know, uh, understanding that stuff, at least, you know, to, to us, to whatever scale they, they can. And I guess no one's ever told them they can, I guess. So yeah, sure. Well, that's a big part of it. I think. And, um, I, uh, uh, so I'll see angels play with dogs or pet them or things like that. I've, I haven't had this happen to me personally, but I've, you know, I've had friends have stories of, you know, having worship nights and things like that at their house and their dogs just like laying down in the presence of God, like really acting very different than they would, you know, in a normal setting or acting way more peacefully than they normally would in a different setting. And so I think, you know, I think all creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed and, 
I think, you know, pets and animals are right, right in there. When you are dealing with, back to humans now, when you're dealing with things, what's the most common thing that you see on people, whether it be for men, women, or children? What do you see for all those? Hmm. So that's interesting. Now, I, I will say that some of this is my lens um, because the, the interesting thing is that there's there's always so much going on with any given person in the spirit. There's so much going on. Um, the first things that I tend to see are, are the good because that is what I focus on. And I usually see something that God is wanting to give them, show them, or say to them right now. And that's always there, always, all the time. I mean, it's that reality that we know and understand that his thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore, but they're just, they're not just sitting on the seashore somewhere. They're there, you know, ready to be released, ready to be communicated. Um, you know, as far as if you go to the negative side, I think the most common thing that I see is this is on, it's less with children just because most kids don't deal with this right away, or at least not when they're younger, but it is mostly wounds. It is mostly hurts if you're going for the negative side. Um, and, you know, do most of those wounds have demonic stuff hanging on them and digging deeper into them? Actually, no. I think most of them just weren't taken care of all the way. You know, it's it's not that they're these big, horrible, gaping, oozing things. I do see that. But more commonly, it's just stuff that wasn't taken care of all the way. And it is an ugly scar or a wound that's just there, not horrible, not bleeding out or anything, but it's just there. In your book, there was a couple stories that have stayed with me from the time I read it uh, a couple years ago, and it changed a lot of the perspective of how I view certain people. And in this story, uh, you were at a place where you saw, but it was a girl doing what was like psychic readings or something on that line. Whereas most Christians would look at her and say, oh, she's possessed or she's demonic, she's of the devil. But when you saw it, it was more that she was given a gift by God and no one ever showed her what to do with it. So she sort of came up with it on their own. Do you see that often where people are misusing gifts or abilities given to them? Oh, totally, totally, totally. I, you know, I think we're, we're all, in, in my opinion, fundamentally designed for inter interaction with God. And so that set of tools uh, you know, apart from connection with him, apart from a relationship with him can be used in a myriad of different ways. You know, I see people with gifts of speaking, of communicating, of articulating revelation, ideas, thoughts, just using it for whatever, you know, line of learning is they're catching right now, you know, but I see it as a gift. Like it's literally a, I see the ideas that they are communicating emerging from their mouths in these clear pictures that are going into other people's minds and hearts. And it's not the truth, but the person is, has a gift of articulating things clearly. And so that's you know, another example. And now, now I believe that's a God-given gift. That would be a gift for you know, sharing revelation, sharing the, the truth of God. Um, but it's just being used for sharing, like I said, whatever that person's into right now. Um, I see worship gifts on a lot of, you know, secular bands that have a gift for taking people's hearts, taking their minds to a 
to a higher place of understanding of who God is, to a higher place of revelation again, but they're taking it to deeper into their personal experience maybe, or into some of their beliefs or, you know, things like that. And so I, you know, now I, this is getting a little bit interesting, but I, I see that with Christians who, you know, believe in God, know who God is, but have these gifts that they haven't learned how to operate through relationship with him. And even then, it, now it's influenced by their values and their godly values, but it's not necessarily always being used through a relationship with him. And that's always a bummer to me because it's such a limiting view of what that gift could be. Um, you know, people with entrepreneurial gifts, people with, um, again, worship, speaking, teaching gifts, people with um, gifts of creativity, of art, of things like that. And so, um, yeah, see that quite a lot, fortunately and unfortunately. Earlier, you referenced about when you see very rarely, but it happens, people doing something malicious or what about in a case where you're looking at someone and maybe they're like a different religion, like say they're like a Buddhist or agnostic or atheist? What do you see around those kind of people? Yeah, so it depends from person to person. And I, I've, you know, like I said, most people, when I see them like, like a psychic or something like that, it's not necessarily that they are actively being, trying to promote something demonic per se. They're just sharing the, the incomplete perspective that they have of what they do or what their gift is. Um, the, with, and, and so even people like, like there's an atheist is an easy example because there are some atheists who are aggressively atheists who, you know, despise the, the idea of believing in something that you don't see or, or can't measure, you know, based on our, our current measurements. And so they, you know, Again, I've seen even aggressive atheists, I've seen a version that they actually have a, just a really, really strong value for truth and that good, godly value for truth and measurement and balance and, you know, uh, uh, judgeability or measurability gets twisted into something that where faith can't exist, you know, gets overextended, gets something out of often fear that gets, you know, uh, you know, put it, put into this unhealthy place. I, now I, um, have seen people who are, it, or that is more the result of something like anger or hurt from, from the church or from, you know, uh, you know, things, things of that nature. And so that is usually more malicious towards the church where they're maybe even not as into their beliefs as maybe even they think, but are just attacking you know, something that, again, I, I, compassion is sometimes just kind of how I view the world, but something, they're just attacking something that hurt them. Even in that case, it's not necessarily full blown. This is a evil person who is trying to release demonic power on this, that, or the other thing. It is a person who was hurt by the church or a person who has maybe even a legitimate reason to be upset at the church and is attacking for that reason. With our ministry here, we're very big on well, a lot of things, but healing is sort of what we're most known for and things like that. And in healing ministry, I have noticed, this is just my personal uh, feeling on it, is that with me, I know certain things just seem to have my number. And what I mean, it's like a sports team. There's certain teams that you just have trouble with that you 
just don't have a good record against. There are certain things that I can minister for goes right away. There's other things that fight me seemingly to the death forever and ever and ever, right? And sure. certain certain things just seem to have my number at this point of where I'm at. Now, there are some people that, again, like that spectrum, some people say that whether it's all demonic, whether it be a sickness, whether it's breaking a nail, there was a demon involved somehow, cancer or virus or disease, that it's all demonic front to back. Whereas um, um, I question that, whether it is or it isn't. You know, if I break an nail, it's just me being a fool. You know, we're, we're bags sure. of water on a planet full of very sharp things. Things happen. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily <laughs> demonic, right? But sure, like sure. a virus, a friend of mine and I were having a great discussion where he was explaining to me what he feels it was. And it sounds like it's almost like, like a military leaves a landmine. The war is over, but the landmines are still there and it traps you detonate, if you will. So when it comes to... Uh, specifically for our listeners, because a lot are into healing ministry, what would we need to know as far as like demonic or in the spirit that would help us improve and get better at these things? Is it all demonic? Is it traps? Is it just life? What do you see? Yeah, I I definitely don't feel like I have a what I would consider to be a complete view of what it always is. Um, my, my opinion is I, I would agree that I think some of it is we some of it is demonic. Some of it is, I believe that we are living in a world where the full release of God's intention, his kingdom, his plans for it are not yet fully released and revealed yet or, or fully in practice yet. And so for, for I believe that, that personally, I believe that he is ready and willing and releasing the building blocks for all of that right now. But we as people learning to enact that, learning to partner with him and releasing out of the earth is something that we're still working on um, and probably will be for at least the foreseeable future. Um, and so to, to that end, I believe that some of it is what we would you know, call natural uh, as far as, you know, like you said, I tripped and I broke my leg or, you know, I wasn't doing proper safety procedure and I fell off this ladder or, you know, whatever else, or, you know, something happened where the, the, wind picked up or whatever. And I slipped, you know, um, my personal view on it is whether it was demonic, whether it was natural, whether it was some, this idea of traps or this idea of, you know, stuff that is just kind of left over. I, I, regardless of the source, I am confident and believe in God's intention, which is healing. And, um, you know, one thing I really like to say to that effect is I've prayed for a lot of people to be healed. You know, my, my stats are better than they used to be, but not as good as they could be. Um, and however, even though I don't see, you know, everyone I pray for get healed 100% of the time, I see the healing present and ready. Now it, it looks different every time but it's there 100% of the time. Sometimes I can see it coming out of my own hands. Sometimes I see it just moving about the room in waves. Sometimes I see an angel standing there with a bowl full of healing. Sometimes, you know, it's uh, something on the person, you know, that I can see the healing is being released. And even though I don't always see the healing actually happen, I see it in the spirit 100% of the time. And to me, again, that's just a confirmation of intention which is that he always is ready and willing to heal. And, you know, it's frustrating. Sometimes I could tell you why someone's not healed. I could see bitterness. I could see attitudes and mindsets that are 
reinforcing or even blocking what God is trying to do, you know? Um, but other times I can't tell you, sometimes I'm feeling full of faith. The person looks full of faith. That angel over there looks excited and we pray and ah, nothing. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience where other times I'm feeling like I have hardly any faith. I'm feeling really bummed out and I don't think this is going to happen. And it does before I can even finish praying, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the best that I can get to at least right now is I believe that God has given us all of the building blocks for his kingdom on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And to me, the, they are, um, our, our job is to discover how those building blocks fit together. And we can only do that by the Holy Spirit. I absolutely, and I, I totally get what you're saying with the, you know, some stuff I feel like we got it down to a science, you know, and I think those are the areas that we've paved really clearly that we've, we know how those blocks go together. We know how that's built. We can get to that stuff really easily in other areas. It's, Oh, we're still clear in the past there. I got to go there with a machete to dig my way through that area, you know? Um, and, but I see us going to a place where we learn all those pathways and, you know, maybe that's an oversimplification, but, and I do believe that no matter what, we'll still have to be led by his spirit with, with, with that stuff. But the one thing I can confidently say is that it's there every time I've never not seen it there ever. And I've, prayed for hundreds of people and it's and i've seen hundreds of people pray for it. it is always 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 there and so that helps with knowing at least knowing where i don't need to put my focus and which narrows down where i do need to put my focus you know we uh, teach that every spiritual case is different and that seems to be a common thread of what you're saying here too that 10 people in front of you, each with a headache, could be 10 different approaches or 10 different reasons or 10 different causes, if you will. And it's like you're saying, it's almost like being a detective, a puzzle master, a minister. you got to be a little bit of everything, it seems, to bring all the pieces together. And and I'll be very blunt with you. It's mighty frustrating, and it's it, it hacks me off a lot. But, yeah, but you know, you got to do your job. <laughs> Bottom line, it's, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, but, and, you know, some of it for me is I – I see, a, you know, I hear, and maybe, maybe I have a very limited perspective, but I, I see and hear more people being healed and more people healing other people than I have in ever, ever in my life before. And I, I do believe it's becoming more common, more widespread. And so even though in the, in the intermediate and in the moment we have ups and downs, and we have victories and defeats, I do believe that the overall, you know, advancement of the kingdom is occurring, especially in the area of healing. And so it's, you know, it's going to be front lines for, for a while, in a lot of areas, but I think that in 10 years, we'll look back and be like, wow, we've actually covered a lot of ground and a lot of stuff that was not normal 10 years ago is kind of normal now. Yeah. It's interesting so, too. the, yeah. uh, the kingdom is all about progression and growth. I mean, it really is. I mean, you grow up into him in all things, right? It's, it's from fundamentally a growth thing and, uh, listeners again, Blake Healy, author of the veil, we're uh, coming down the home stretch, getting ready to wrap this up with some, uh, listener questions. And it actually ties in perfectly. Um, Diana in Rancho Cucamonga, California would like to know, and I'm going to condense this a little bit. Um, have you seen mm-hmm. the uprise of people moving in the spirit realm with sight and hearing? And is the movement going to increase? Are you seeing anything new in the spiritual realm in comparison to, say, 10 years ago? See, she's already 
tied into this. She was she was listening to this interview before we recorded it, right? So send the <laughs> same tracking, question. She's, she's in it. She's in, she's awesome. So all right, what do you think? Uh, new things uh, coming? Ten years? People growing in this? What are you seeing? Totally. So yeah. So uh, you know, obviously, I already said like I I'm always seeing new things. I'm always and I'm seeing more detail in the things that I do see, and then so that's that's a constant thing, and and always has been. Um, and as far as, yeah, it's interesting. Like I didn't hear anyone talking about this when I was a kid. It would have been helpful if more people were talking about this. And even for a long time, a lot of the books that I could find, like things like, you know, Jim Gall's book, The Seer, it was very helpful, but it was even only more, more of a survey of this gift rather than, Hey, here's a bunch of experiences and here's some stuff you can do with it. You know? Um, but I remember right when my book came out, there were, couple others and I was hearing more podcasts and more things. And so it's from, from that broader scale, I'm, I'm hearing about it a lot more than I ever did before. Excellent. And I, you know, I was looking for sure. Um, I'm also noticing with my own experience and with our, with our school of ministry, a lot more, it's, it seems like it's getting easier and easier for people to receive this gift. You know, I, I, you know, I, I've always, as soon as I learned that what I had was a, was a gift, I was immediately convinced that it was something that was meant to be available for every Christian. And so I, I've always been willing to pray for anyone, but again, kind of going along with that healing thing, I feel like I personally, and we as a, as a, you know, uh, the church have, are discovering those pathways, those ways that make it easier, those ways that get us there, you know, more quickly. And so even with, in the context of my school, I'm seeing a lot more success of people receiving this gift. And so that, that's been very exciting. And so again, I think, this is the kind of thing that in, in five years, in 10 years, it may be much, much, much more common for people to learn how to grow and, and, you know, receive this gift. All right. Ange would like to know, does he always see in the spirit? I, I'm assuming constantly if he prays for each person he prays or only when Holy Spirit shows you something and then continuing, is he willing to pray for others via Skype or phone? What I want to tap tap onto that is, do you do this over distance? Like, can you like think of a place or a location and see in the spirit, like remotely, if you will? So all the time, only when you're shown something, can you do it on command by Skype, by distance? Is it like Pokemon Go with a little overlay screen? How's it work? <laughs> yeah. So anytime I have the mind to look, and it's always been that way. Um, the way I describe it is, you know, take whatever space you're in right now. If you're in your living room, if you're in a classroom, if you're in your car, you know, you, you're seeing tons of things right now that you're not necessarily paying attention to. Like if you're in your car, you maybe didn't look inside the little pieces of dirt that are inside your cup holder. If you're in your house, you may didn't, maybe didn't look specifically at those, which books are sitting on your shelf or, you know, what, um, whether that cupboard over there is, you know, a few millimeters open or whatever else. Now, as soon as I mention those things, you'll turn, you'll look at them and you'll see them, but they were there. And in fact, you were seeing them, but you weren't actually thinking about them at all because it was just part of the background you know and that, that's kind of my best metaphor for how seeing the spirit works for me it's always there but i don't always pay attention to it in the same way that i don't always pay attention to what kind of lighting is in the room that i'm in you know um and so it's just kind of part of everything else for me um i can turn it off which is handy um particularly when driving um, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's something that I can do. And I, that was one of my, I remember day one, 12 years old at the back of the church practicing that. And, um, so that's something that I can do. Um, 
but uh yeah so it's it's pretty much all the time anytime now the holy spirit definitely does draw my attention to certain things he'll uh, i will feel him pull on it you know if you want to look at it that way and i'll be drawn to focus on this and drawn to focus on that but i can also just kind of look around as well um by skype or by phone or if like if you see a video on skype do you see stuff around them or if someone's on tv do you see something around them yeah, so when I told my friend this, he laughed out loud and said, ah, ha ha, I have found your kryptonite. Um, I, uh, I, so I cannot see through video what is going on in the spirit in that room or in that place. So for, for example, like if I'm watching a newscast, now I will see stuff released by video and released by um, um, through screens. So like uh, an easy example is like a newscast, like... If they're saying a scary story, I might see a spirit of fear come out of the TV, but I cannot look on the TV and see what that news anchor's personal angel looks like, if that makes sense. Um, as a counter to that, I can ask the Holy Spirit a question, and in the same way that I would get a prophetic word, get a picture in my mind's eye, or get an impression of what is there, what that person's personal angel does look like. And I, I have done that and can do that. Um, but I'm not seeing it with my physical eye the way that I would see, you know, someone standing in front of me. All right. Gail in Las Vegas would like to know, can seeing in the spirit be taught to the level of where you are with this? I certainly believe so. Um, I think when people hear me talk about it and people hear me rattle off this, that, and the other thing, or they hear me explain something and I go into, you know, this is this, and this means this, and this means that most of that is experience rather than the level of my gifting, or at least that's my opinion. Um, I've, I've just been doing it for 20 years. I've been actively doing it and learning it and practicing it for 20 years, and I've been seeing for longer than that. Um, and so some of that is just getting really, really, really familiar with it. Um, again, I have lots of stories, but just a, a brief one is I, a lot of people when I train them, I train them to ask to get a prophetic word about what's there. Like ask God to show you a picture in your mind's eye, to give you an impression, to tell you in your, in a still small voice, what's going on in the room and where an angel is. I'm like, if you can't see it with your eyes, the Holy spirit can describe it to you. Of course he can. And so the cool thing is, is I've had several people now and more and more increasingly who practice that and maybe it's for a month, maybe it's for two months, maybe it's for a year, depends on the person, depends on the circumstance. They practice that way, seeing pictures in their mind's eye, writing it down, getting impressions, you know, that kind of thing. And most of the people who stick with it all of a sudden have this snap moment where they start seeing with their eyes, just, just the way that I do. And, you know, which is cool. I've had some people freak out a little bit when that happens and it's funny, but, (laughs) um, it, I remember one student, he called me at like 1130 at night and I woke up and said, Blake, Blake. And he had been practicing for two years. Um, trying, you know, just pictures in his mind's eye, same way you get a prophetic word. And, um, it's like, Blake, Blake, I'm at this meeting and I see these angels walking in and they're carrying tablets and there's this smoke coming in the room and all the tablets have words written on them for all the people in the room. And I see them with my eyes, Blake, what's going on? And I said, I think it's working. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Let me go to bed. And, so cool. And so, and so it's, that's, you know, I, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said that's every person or that's all the time, but it, 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 I'm all, it's also, it can be done. That it's, 
it's happening more and more. Like it genuinely is happening more and more. And that, that is very encouraging for me because I, I couldn't have given you a good reason why I believed that when I first got started, but I just, it was just built in like, I know this is for more people than just me. And so it is, it used to be a few, it used to be out of every school of ministry year, out of the people that would push for it. And, you know, not everyone did, which is fine. Um, I would get one or two and now it feels like three or four every year that we'll get it, you know? And so it's, it's been increasing. And then when I do conferences and workshops and things like that, there's, and now it's like every time there's a few people who catch it right away. And so it's, um, it's, I, I can feel that momentum building. And so I am, I am very excited about that. All right. Our final question is Mick. And I think we t- t- touched on this already. He says, do you see things as if it's the natural or through a sanctified imagination? And if it's like seeing things in the natural, how do you activate it? We, we did touch on that and we'll talk about activation in a second. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I see it just the way that I'd be seeing, you know, any of you, if you were standing in front of me, um, when I do see in the spirit, it looks like it's made out of different stuff. So I, I, you know, for example, would very rarely mistake an angel for a person or a person for an angel, um, which is good. <laughs> um, but uh, it, um, so I, I see it in this very tangible way. I, it's, you know, it's tangible, it's visible, it's, you know, there as much as anything else. Looks like it's made out of different material. Um, I, I, I have a lot of thoughts on whether I think this is some version of sanctified imagination or, or whatnot. My, my most clear, concise answer nowadays is um, I believe that what I am seeing is a literal metaphor for what that angel or thing is. And so do I think that that protection angel that we talked about earlier literally looks like an elderly man with a mustache with silver armor with a spear in his hand? I don't necessarily think that that is literally the way that the angel looks in the same sense that I look a certain way and look that way most days. Um, Cause the angels are spirits. And so they're not, they're not they're, the way that they express themselves visually is not the same way that we do physically, you know? And so I, what I more think what I'm seeing, and again, this, this opinion may shift or change is that I am seeing, you know, I, I, this is maybe a nerdy way to explain it, but like, you know, if you're using your iPhone or whatever, you know, Android or whatever you got, um, you're not, you know, if you move this app into this folder, you're not physically moving something to somewhere else, you know, but that is a metaphor for explaining what you are doing, which is reassigning where something is sitting or how something is accessed to be in code. Now, if we just looked at the raw code of what we were doing, none of us would understand it. It would be confusing. It would be weird and it wouldn't make sense. But so people have designed these visual metaphors that are meant to express something that is true, but is really just a metaphor for what you're actually doing. And I kind of think that's how the way that I see in the spirit, how that works. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Now, listeners, uh, I'm going to highly suggest you get this book. Now, in the book, you're going to hear not all, everything we talked about today, which was a great interview thus far, and a lot more stories, a lot more detailed levels of these things. So uh, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, Blake, where can people get this book? 
Yeah, so it's um, uh, a new version is being released real soon, uh, January 19th, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it should be available in all the bookstores, uh, Books A Million, uh, Barnes & Noble, things like that. Uh, if you want to pre-order it right now, you can um, get that on Amazon.com, and you can pre-order that, and they'll ship it right to you either via Kindle or physical, whatever you prefer. Um, I also have some of my workshops and some audio stuff available on my website. It's BlakeKHealy.com if you're interested in some of that stuff right now. Awesome. Now, in the book, there's activations and practical exercises. One of the things that drives me up the wall is when you hear about <laughs> these gr- cool things that people can do, but they don't tell you how to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're telling if, – if you were to give us a homework assignment to practice for the next two years like some of your previous students – how, give us an exercise right now that we can actively get started in and doing this and then call you at 1130 at night and tell you about. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's real simple. You can do, you can iterate on this and change it however you want in ways that, that will adapt to lots of different circumstances, but pick a situation. My favorite was just like going to church and listening to during worship. And I would spend like five, 10 minutes, not, not long, not the whole time, you know, you can do this at home, throw some worship music on. I like that because it creates an atmosphere. It connects you to the Holy Spirit, you know, and it makes all that stuff easier, I think. And so get in some kind of situation like that. And again, this could be adapted to waiting for a bus. It could be wait, waiting at the airport. It could be any situation, but I think worship's ideal. Um, sit there and just ask yourself a few questions. And like I said, I've seen the most consistent breakthrough when people – start by asking the Holy Spirit to just tell them where something is and what it looks like. And, you know, you might want to start practicing some of the prophetic and things like that if you want to get used to that side of things. But assuming that someone is more or less comfortable with that, um, just sit there and first look with your eyes. Uh, or What I usually tell people to do is just ask the Holy Spirit where something is in the room. And now, people laugh at me, this is silly, but like if you get stuck on this part and you're like, I don't know where to look, I don't know, just pick a spot. Just pick somewhere because it is better to try and fail than it is to just get so lost in the details from out the gate that you don't get anywhere. Um, so look at that spot and ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what's going on there? And he might show you a picture in your mind's eye. He might show you an angel. You can get more specific with it too. Too. You can be like, hey, I want to see what my personal angel looks like. I want to see what my wife, my friend, my kid's personal angel looks like. Ask him to show you that. And you might see a picture in your mind's eye. You might just get a word. You might get an impression. You might get something really vague that's just like peace or joy or rest. And whatever it is, just have a conversation with the Holy Spirit about it. And I, to get down to some of the quote-unquote science of it, I... I think that what this does is it conditions your mind to start thinking about what's going on in the spirit. It conditions your mind to start having conversations with the Holy Spirit about what's going on in the spirit. And it creates a scenario where you are giving yourself more chances to recognize, to discern, to see what's going on in the spirit. The people that have stewarded different versions of this, I've seen more consistent breakthrough with them just practicing this simple exercise over and over and over again. So ask the Holy Spirit where to look, look there at start with your eyes open because I've had people just start seeing right away. So don't, you know, don't shortchange what he might do. Um, 
and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's there. Get a picture, get an impression, get a feeling. Just have a short conversation about it. Why is that there? What is it doing? Is this feeling of peace something that's being brought to this person or to me? Or is this something that that person carries naturally? That's a gift that they have. Get into those detailed questions with him. Because I think, again, that stimulates our mind to start thinking like he does. And I'll add, I'll add one story on here because it encourage, encourages people. Um, I do a Seeing in the Spirit class at our School of Ministry. It's a five-week course as you know, it's part of the school. And we um, had this one guy who was having a rough time. I mean, most people you know, can at least sense something, get a prophetic word, you know, get, get something. And he was just cold, dead, nothing the whole time. Couldn't get anything. He had such a sweetheart, you know, he really wanted to see in the spirit, but man, nothing, nothing. First week, second week, third week, get to the fourth week and, you know, we're practicing, we're doing an exercise where we just took the whole room and people were trying to discern where stuff was. And this guy get to him and he's like, nothing. I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything. I have no, nothing. And I said, oh, just, you know, just ask the Holy Spirit where an angel is. I've asked, I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything. I'm like, okay, just guess. Just guess where you think an angel might be. And it's in our school of ministry. There's, you know, 40, 50 people in that, in that class right then. Um, you know, we do worship in that same room. There's lots of angels around. There's a fair chance you can just point at one, you know. He, he's like, all right. I'm like, yeah, just guess. So he reaches out and points. And he manages to point at a spot where there is no angel whatsoever. I, I, and he says, is there one there? I open my mouth to say, no, there's not an angel there. And an angel that was standing on the other side of the room zips over and stands exactly where he's pointing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I, I'm literally like in the middle of saying no. And I have to stop over myself and say, well, I, <laughs> yes, there is. And when I share that story, you know, it made me feel so much better just because it's, you know, heaven is on your side with this stuff. You're not, you're not trying to hunt something that's hiding from you. It's the Lord leading you to understanding. And even though there is a process often associated with that, it doesn't mean, it, you know, you know it, it, it is a process that's designed for your benefit, not for your frustration. That's funny. <laughs> you got to knit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so cool. All right. And uh, Blake, it, this has been a marathon interview, and I'm so glad you stuck with me. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And I just want to say again, thank you for all your insight. I've been very excited to talk to you and get through all this thing, uh, through all this material. And before we officially close, would you please do a little prayer for myself and our audience to for everybody that wants to start functioning in this, give us a little push and a head start. Could you do that for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, uh, yeah, Lord, I just thank you for all these hungry hearts and these hungry people out there. And I just, um, I just release the gift of seeing the spirit on every single one of them right now. I release their eyes to be open. I release their minds to understand and perceive the things of the spirit. And I just declare the truth that every single thing that they see, every single thing that they experience will draw them into a deeper and more personal relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Gotta love that, listeners. Uh, Blake Healy, author of The Veil. And Blake, before we officially close, final thoughts? Anything else you'd like to cover? Anything else you'd like to say? Final word is yours. No, it feels great. Um, It's Yeah, I just really enjoy being able to share with everyone 
about it. And I just encourage anyone, if you're, if you're hungry to know more about what's going on in the spirit, just more than anything else, just learn to have those conversations with the Holy spirit. It's the only thing that helped me grow in it. Even though I was born with it, even though I've always seen none of it would have been useful if I wasn't able to have a conversation with the Holy spirit about it. And so develop that first, if you don't have it already. And from there, it's it's a very firm foundation to build everything else on. So that's that would be my last thing to leave with you guys. With. All right, listeners, thank you for being here. We again thank Blake Healy, author of The Veil, for joining us today. Make sure you visit our website at www.dominionfire.com for all of our materials, podcasts, where to find everything. Um, and I think that's about it. I think we're good to go. And as we always say here at our ministry, boom, goes Yeshua, and we will see you next time.